Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer and try Peloton risk-free with Peloton Rentals at onepeloton.com slash bike slash rentals. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. This is part two of the case of Danita Smith, who was murdered back in 2007. If you haven't listened to part one, you'll want to listen to that first and then come back. Danita Smith was shot and killed outside her apartment in Durham, North Carolina. The investigation into her murder revealed a love triangle between Danita, her fiancé Jameer Stroud, and the other woman Shannon Crawley. Evidence was leading police to believe that Shannon Crawley killed Danita out of jealousy. But after her arrest, Shannon came to police telling a different story. I'm your host, Nisa. Welcome to the Lost Crimes Library podcast. This is the story of the calculated murder of Danita Smith, part two. A week after Danita's death, her family and friends gather to attend Danita's funeral. They try their best to honor and celebrate Danita's life, as Danita would have wanted, with a homegoing service. So many people from town show up to support Danita's mother, Sharon, and to say their goodbyes. Jameer Stroud shows up to the funeral as well. According to other attendees, Jameer appears genuinely sad and heartbroken, as he is often seen crying during the service. Although Danita is gone and there is now this great absence in their lives, her family does have a sliver of comfort because the woman who allegedly killed Danita is sitting in jail awaiting her fate. But another family is reeling with their own degree of grief. The Crawleys are struggling with their own daughter's fate. They believe that Shannon is innocent and is being unjustly pursued by police. And her father, a former deputy sheriff, feels that Shannon's arrest is the result of shoddy police work. He feels that the police are allowing themselves to be led in the direction of Shannon because another police officer, Jameer, was associated with the victim, suggesting that Durham PD did not thoroughly pursue other leads because he's a police officer back in Greensboro. But the assistant DA for Durham knows that this is what most people will think, so he's being extra careful in building the case against Shannon. The assistant DA knows that if they clear Jameer Stroud, that they could possibly face criticism from the public for letting an officer allegedly get away with murder. So the DA's office makes sure to conduct several interviews with Jameer throughout the investigation. And in each interview, 
they can't help but see Jameer as devastated. They believe that he had no idea that his affair could have put Danita in such fatal danger. But on the other hand, the detectives feel that Jameer isn't always and entirely forthcoming. For instance, Jameer would offer the truth, but only if detectives asked him questions. Essentially, he wouldn't volunteer the information, but the police would have to pull it out of him question after question after question. And I can see how this does seem suspicious, because if your fiancé was murdered and you think your mistress had something to do with it, wouldn't you be telling police everything you knew without needing to be interviewed over and over again? Wouldn't you want to offer everything you know so you can help police catch your fiancé's killer? Each time detectives interview Jameer in person and over the phone, new information comes out, and this easily becomes exhausting for detectives. However, it's also great for the investigation because they are now getting closer to cracking this case and stacking up the circumstantial evidence to ensure a conviction. While Shannon is awaiting trial, detectives learn more about what happened after Jameer and Shannon ended their romantic relationship. This is what they learn. Following their breakup, about a year before Danita's murder, Jameer said he went on a church retreat and his pastor advised him to apologize to anyone he had wronged. This prompted Jameer to call up Shannon and apologize in extensive detail for everything he was sorry about. According to Jameer, he said he was on the phone for 12 hours apologizing. He was on the phone so long with Shannon that his cell phone died mid-conversation. And detectives believe that this is when Shannon may have had the idea to harm Danita because old feelings, old mistakes, and old wrongs were being rehashed. Jermere tells police that after apologizing, the two began their relationship again, although he insists they didn't have sex anymore. But Jermere was always available for Shannon. He was available in the middle of the night if Shannon needed something. He would drop everything at work for her if she called. So in Shannon's mind, the door was still open because Jameer was doing all the things a boyfriend would do. It's not completely unfathomable to think that Shannon may have thought she still had a chance, a future with Jameer. And on the other hand, Jameer thought he could control the situation with Shannon, but it was clear he couldn't. Durham detectives discover a really chilling piece of information about Shannon that adds a piece to the puzzle that is Shannon and Jameer's relationship. It turns out that a few months before Danita was murdered, Shannon purchased a house near where Jameer lived. And when police searched Shannon's new home, they were surprised by what they found. As detectives walk through Shannon Crawley's home, they notice the kids' rooms are normal. They contain everything one would expect to find in a child's bedroom. But Shannon's room is a little odd containing a mattress on the floor and being relatively bare bones. Also, there's little to no living room furniture, no dining room set, and nothing in the kitchen. To detectives, this suggests that Shannon was overspending and bought a house she couldn't afford and maintain just to be in proximity to Jameer. Detectives conclude that there was a clear pattern of Shannon placing herself near Jameer whenever she could, and it seemed like she was stalking Jameer too. It was clear that this love triangle was turning dangerous in the months and weeks leading up to Danita's murder, and police are now wondering if Shannon was obsessed with Jameer. But Shannon's family insists that police had it all wrong. 
that it was Jameer who couldn't let go of Shannon. They claim he would harass Shannon with phone calls at all hours of the day and night. According to her father, Jameer's frequent phone calls were hostile and aggressive. He would overwhelm Shannon with question after question, basically interrogating her about where she was and what she was doing. Shannon's mother adds that Jameer supposedly wanted Shannon to come back to him, but Shannon didn't want a possessive relationship with Jameer, so she had no plans to go back to him. Again, police are coaxing more information from Jameer because they still aren't 100% sure how much he was involved, if at all. In more interviews, Jameer insists that Shannon was demanding more and more attention from him, and that the woman he really wanted to be with was his fiancée, Danita. He complains to police that Shannon was the one being possessive and obsessive, that she wouldn't take no for an answer. From his perspective, things escalated to the point where he claimed he had to file an internal affairs complaint against Shannon at their job. It's unclear if the complaint was official or not, but detectives say Jameer disclosed to someone at his job that Shannon wouldn't let their relationship go. With time, detectives pieced together that everything sort of came to a head on Christmas Eve, when Jameer walked into his Greensboro church with Danita on his arm and a diamond ring on her finger. He had proposed, and Danita was incredibly excited and happy about it. She was showing off her ring to other church members, and Shannon was in the back of the church and saw everything. However, Shannon's parents claim detectives have their information wrong again. They claim that Shannon was never at the church that day, so she couldn't have seen Danita showing off her engagement ring. Instead, they claim that they were the ones at the church that day. Durham police think they definitely have the right person sitting in jail, but investigators haven't completely taken their attention away from Jameer Stroud. After all, he was in the middle of this love triangle, but this assurance police have is tested when Shannon Crawley comes to them with a shocking and questionable story. It is May 2007. Shannon Crawley is out on bail. She and her attorney are walking into the Durham Police Department, prepared to shed light on the case with some new information. Shannon tells police that she wants to tell her side of things. She alleges that she was framed. Shannon shows some emotion as she tells this compelling story, but not a lot. She has this matter-of-fact tone, and she talks a lot. She also claims the trouble in her relationship began after she and Jameer broke up. She tells police that Jameer was upset about the abortion, and that Jameer began harassing and stalking her, calling her continuously at work and interrupting the radio and communications. She also alleges that he would stand in the hallway at her workplace and stare at her, as if he was making it clear that she was being watched and controlled. She claims Jameer's behavior is what prompted her to buy a gun before Danita's murder. She says she felt she needed to protect herself in case things escalated, because at one point, Jameer threatened her and her children. If you recall, in her first police interview with Greensboro, Shannon denied ever owning a gun, saying she was scared of them. So detectives challenge her about this in the post-bail interview. Shannon responds by saying she only owned the gun for about a day and a half. Now, I'm not sure why she says this. It's not as if owning a gun for only one day makes her even less suspicious. To me, it actually makes her even more suspicious, like she bought the gun for a specific reason. Because if you really thought your life was in danger, wouldn't you keep the gun until you felt like there was no longer a threat? 
Anyways, she also states that Jameer knew she would do anything to protect her kids, and that Jameer knew this and used it against her. She alleges that Jameer forced her to drive with him to Danita's place. She says that Jameer told her, quote, I'll make it real simple. Either your children die or you die for your children, end quote. So she alleges that Jameer used her kids against her to get her to participate in the crime against her will. Shannon tells detectives that on January 3rd, the day before Danita's murder, Jameer forced her to drive to Durham to case Danita's apartment complex. Then she says the next day, Jameer forced her at gunpoint to drive back there again. She claims that when they left on the 4th, she never expected to make it back home. She alleges that after they pulled up to Danita's apartment, Jameer got out and she stayed in the SUV. According to Shannon's news story, after Jameer went up to the stairs to Danita's apartment, a few minutes passed, and then she heard Jameer arguing and yelling at someone. At this point, she gets out of the car, starts up the sidewalk to the breezeway, and then suddenly, hears a gunshot. She claims that moments later, Jameer rushed past her and got back into the vehicle in the driver's seat, which would explain why gunshot residue was found there. She tells police that Jameer then got out of the driver's seat by climbing into the back seat and then commanded her to get in the car. Shannon goes on to say that she then got into the driver's seat and began driving, and this is when she encountered the maintenance man. She claims that the maintenance guy couldn't see Jameer hiding in the back seat. After encountering the maintenance guy, she says she drove herself and Jameer back to Greensboro. She also tells police that she kept asking what happened as she was sobbing and Jameer was yelling at her. To detectives, Shannon doesn't seem rehearsed in this post-bail interview. They don't think she's making it up. And the reason they think this is because the detectives would ask her a question and then she would respond. She didn't take too long to answer like she was making it up, but didn't respond too quickly like it was all rehearsed. Sure, this story fits all the facts, but it basically exonerated her as the killer. It's a convenient story. But one thing detectives struggle with in her story is that if Shannon had a story that proved her innocence, why did she wait so long to say something? Her reason for this is that Jermir had threatened her children in the past and she was terrified for the safety of her children because he knew how to access them. Noticing some obvious cracks in her story, detectives ask her what changed between her first interview with police and her subsequent arrest to now. Because Jameer still knows how to get to her children and he could still hurt them. To this question, she has no answer. Instead, she looks at the detective and insists that everything she just told him was the truth. Shannon does admit to lying to officers the first time they spoke. However, she claims she did not lie the second time after she had been arrested. She also claims that Jameer was making threatening phone calls after her arrest, telling her to stay silent about his role in Danita's murder. All of this was shocking and new information to police. But Shannon's story needs to be checked out before it can be dismissed completely. They have to pursue every avenue to ensure that they're putting the right person in prison for this crime. They also need proof that she was an unwilling accomplice. So Shannon and Durham PD agree that Shannon is allowed to conduct her own sting operation in an attempt to prove her innocence. Shannon purchases a tape recorder and begins recording her phone calls with Jameer after she comes home from jail on bond. 
In a taped phone conversation with an unknown caller, who Shannon claims to be Jameer, this is what is said. Shannon says, I spent four months in jail because of you, because you lied. Caller. Man, I told you, all you had to do was shut the F up, man. Shannon. Jameer, just tell the truth, please. Don't do this to me. Caller. You know I already got away with murder once. Think I can't do it again? Shannon. I'm sure you can. Someone like you, I'm sure. Caller. Trying to keep my out of jail. Shannon. And what about me? I didn't do anything here. Caller. Better you than me, and they ain't trying to put a cop in jail. Shannon's mother has said that 90% of the phone calls between Shannon and Jermir were witnessed by her. To her, Shannon's reactions on the calls were honest and didn't appear like she was faking or making anything up. To Shannon's mother, Anne, her daughter seemed genuinely in fear for her life, and she says she knew the man on the other end was absolutely Jermir. Shannon and her family truly believed that the tape recordings were enough to clear her of any suspicion as Danita's killer. The DA's office listened carefully to the tapes Shannon provided. While this is happening, detectives are looking at another phone call. But this phone call happened on the day Danita's murder took place. Detectives learn that one day when Shannon had arrived at the 911 call center to work her shift, a personal call came in for her, from a man who did not identify himself. When this man asked to speak to Shannon and was transferred to her, Shannon said hello, but the person on the other end said nothing, and then there was a click. Detectives ask Jermir if he was the one who made this call, and he confirms, yes, he did. They ask why, and he says, because he wanted to know where she was. And this is another point where things don't seem to add up to police. If you remember, Jameer told detectives that he thought Shannon was capable of murder. But he's also telling detectives that he did make that call to Shannon on the day Danita was murdered to make sure she was at work. And this phone call to Shannon's job was before detectives made that call to him about a burgundy SUV driving away from the scene of the crime. But at the same time, Jameer is claiming that there was nothing in the past that indicated to him that Shannon could do harm to Danita. All this back and forth of Jameer's fears or lack thereof regarding Shannon did not add up to police. Why would Jameer need to know Shannon's whereabouts just after Danita was murdered? Did he think Shannon was responsible this whole time? Detectives consider many scenarios, but at this point, Jameer is not offering up much information. It was turning into a he said, she said at this point, and people needed to figure out what really happened and who was responsible, because at the end of the day, someone had been killed and there is a killer still out there. Six months had passed since Danita Smith's murder. Although police were not present during the calls between Shannon and the caller, who was believed to be Jameer, they were able to trace where they originated from. The calls originated from a payphone, so it wasn't possible to confirm if Jameer was the one who was talking to Shannon. But they didn't really count this as a loss, because they still had the sting operation that Shannon was running. The assistant DA carefully listens to the tapes provided by Shannon, and he comes to his own conclusion. Jameer would have had to be disguising his voice if he was the person on the other end of those phone calls like Shannon claims. To him, the man in the phone calls did not sound like Jameer at all. Law enforcement questions 
If Jameer was really calling to intimidate and threaten Shannon, what would be the point in disguising his voice? Doesn't it make sense that Jameer would want Shannon to know it was him on the other end? But again, Shannon's family stands by Shannon's innocence and claims that Jameer had been stalking the family in their neighborhood located in Charlotte. Shannon's mother, Anne, also alleges that Jameer was stalking her, meaning Anne, at some point, and she also believes that Jameer intended on killing both Shannon and Danita. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer and try Peloton risk-free with Peloton Rentals at onepeloton.com slash bike slash rentals. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. While Shannon is out on bail, she relocates from Greensboro to Charlotte and moves in with her family. And while staying with family, something scary and unnerving allegedly happens to Shannon Crawley. One night in July 2007, around 2 a.m., Shannon says she was taking her dog out on a walk in the backyard when something really scary happened to her. According to Shannon's mother, Shannon came back home and crawled, like literally on her hands and knees, into her mother's bedroom. Her mother says Shannon was hysterical with fear. Anne asks Shannon, what's wrong? What happened? And between sobs, Shannon tells her mother that she had been raped, and she alleges that Jameer was the one who did it. Charlotte PD is alerted and rushes to Shannon's family's home. When they get there, Shannon is bleeding and appears traumatized, really shaken up. She is immediately taken to the hospital for treatment, and there a rape kit is conducted. Detectives learn that there were no witnesses to this alleged rape. According to Shannon's mom, there were only four houses in the neighborhood at the time, and that's why there weren't any witnesses. Word about the alleged rape makes its way to Durham PD. At this time, the prosecutor's office is preparing for Shannon's trial. They question if Shannon is certain that the person who attacked her was, in fact, Jameer. So she's asked by detectives how Jameer would have known she'd be walking her dog around 2 in the morning. She says that she figured Jameer was stalking her all night and waited for his opportunity. 
she claimed that for four hours, Jameer raped her. That means she stumbled back into the house around 6 or 7 a.m. to tell her mom what happened. But police struggle with this timeline and Shannon's story because this means that while Shannon was allegedly being raped, the dog that she supposedly took for a walk never barks during the alleged attack. And you would think if a dog was there witnessing their owner be attacked, they would make some noise. She also said that Jameer had used a knife to rape her, but no knife was found at the scene. It would take 10 days for the rape kit to come back with results. In the meantime, police obviously questioned Jameer. He says he was in Greensboro during the time the alleged rape took place, not in Charlotte. And he told police that they could check his phone, his work logs, whatever they needed. He insists he never raped her. But Shannon gave a convenient little tip to the police. She says that the evidence they need might actually be sitting in Jameer's trash cans at his house in Greensboro. She suggests that this is where he stashed the knife he used in her alleged rape. And when Jameer goes to take his garbage out, he opens the trash cans to, guess what? Find a knife sitting at the bottom of an empty trash can. He calls his local police department and the police ask his neighbors if they saw anything suspicious that night. The neighbors say they did see something. The night before Jameer found the knife in his trash can, neighbors saw a car pull up and then they heard a thump and saw someone put something in Jameer's garbage cans and then leave. Witnesses couldn't provide a description of the person they saw outside of Jameer's house because it was in the middle of the night. All they could say was it was a dark figure in a hoodie. These witness statements make police wonder if the knife was planted by Shannon. Of course, they couldn't say for sure without testing the knife, but the results from the test did not reveal that Jameer was connected to this knife in any way. As for Jameer's whereabouts, well, he claims he was on the phone that night, which placed him in Greensboro that he didn't get off the phone until around 6 a.m. It seemed like it was a physical impossibility for Jameer to have been involved in the rape. The results of the rape kit come in, and it ends up showing that there was no semen on the vaginal or rectal swabs, nothing that would be conclusive proof in a court of law that a rape occurred. They tested Shannon's clothes and everything they could, but nothing contained physical evidence like DNA to connect Jameer or anyone else to the alleged rape. The medical personnel that were there for the rape kit also confirmed that they did not see signs of a rape either. They do notice these interesting knife cuts on Shannon's body, however. These cuts appear to be superficial, not at all like the kinds of cuts you'd expect from someone who wants to do damage and is violent. And again, Shannon's family feels that she is being dismissed by police. But Assistant DA maintains that the rape was properly investigated and the whole thing appeared to be nothing but a hoax. And all of this solidifies for the prosecutor's office, who was really stalking who, and it's evident to police that Shannon was the one stalking Jameer. They do not believe that Jameer Stroud was involved in the murder or the planning of it. They also had to consider the motive. Why would Jameer want Tanita out of his life? It's not like they were married yet and there was money or property or life insurance at stake. All he had to do was call Tanita up and tell her that it was over. Plus, it's not like Jameer wanted to stay with Shannon and needed to get Danita out of the picture. It seemed like Shannon had more of a motive to want Danita dead. As the trial approaches, the DA faces a circumstantial case 
with a defendant who still seems kind of credible in her theory of what happened. And because of this, the DA's office extends a plea deal to Shannon. The deal is for Shannon to plead guilty to Danita's murder and be sentenced to a maximum of 12 years in prison. Understandably, Danita's mother is not happy with this plea deal option. Not at all. She feels like the DA's office will be letting Shannon Crawley off easy. She feels that her daughter did not get to plead for her life that morning she was killed, so Shannon shouldn't get a chance to a plea deal. But she doesn't have to worry for long, because Shannon has zero plans on taking the DA's office up on their deal. She insists that she wants to clear her name, and she's willing to take her chances in court. Three years later, Danita Smith's family sits on one side of the court as Shannon Crawley's family sits on the other. Danita's family anticipates a conviction, but Shannon's family is standing by her and is hopeful for an acquittal. The tone of the trial is incredibly tense and somber. For the first time, Danita's mother makes eye contact with the woman who is suspected of killing her daughter. Danita's mother, Sharon, claims that Shannon would exchange glances with her, often with a growing smirk on her face. This behavior makes Sharon feel that Shannon is cocky and without remorse. The whole trial is this back and forth between the prosecution arguing that Shannon committed the murder and the defense arguing that Jameer Stroud committed the murder. As you already know, this case relies heavily on circumstantial evidence. There was no DNA evidence at the crime scene and no murder weapon. It also doesn't help matters that Shannon Crawley just doesn't come off like a cold-blooded killer in court. She dresses conservatively throughout the trial and occasionally sheds tears. The prosecution argues that Shannon was a woman scorned, that Shannon felt betrayed by Jameer and Danita's relationship. They also bring in Jameer and have him testify. On the stand, he admits to the affair and even reveals that when something happened to Danita, he immediately suspected Shannon. He doesn't hold back. In contrast, the defense argues that Shannon is being framed for a murder that Jameer committed alone. They try to paint Jameer as a crooked cop who is circumventing the system. In an attempt to help their case, Shannon takes the stand. She insists on telling her story. On the stand and under oath, she tells the court that Jameer told her he killed Danita. At times, she's poised, but at others, she seems to show glimpses of emotion. Whether they were authentic or not is unclear. We can't forget that the defense also has those phone conversations that Shannon had recorded at their disposal. However, her defense attorney ultimately chooses not to play them. Instead, they are presented by the prosecution to show that Shannon's story was all a lie. And when you hear Jameer's voice in court compared to the man's voice in the recorded conversations, it doesn't sound like Jameer, in my opinion. The voices sound very different. Jameer has this kind of deep, gravelly voice, but the man in the recording has a higher, softer voice, and it also seems like he's whispering. Also, Jameer has a totally different cadence or rhythm to how he speaks compared to the man in the tapes. And we have to remember, the jury just heard Jameer testify, so they know what his voice sounds like. And when the tapes are played in court, the jury actually laughs. It's clear that they aren't buying the tapes either. However, Shannon's family still believes that Jameer disguised his voice in those calls, and they are shocked and abhorred by the fact that those tapes weren't taken seriously during the trial. 
After testimonies, expert witnesses, and the playing of those tapes, the jury is sent to deliberate Shannon's fate. And after just one day, they reach a verdict. Shannon's family is encouraged by the quick deliberations. They think that the jury saw how obvious her innocence was. Meanwhile, Danita's mother is waiting anxiously for the verdict, hoping that Shannon will face life in prison for her daughter's murder. The unanimous verdict comes back saying, Shannon Crawley is found guilty of first-degree murder. When the verdict is read and Shannon's fate is sealed, it looks like all life has been drained from Shannon's body, like she can't believe she was actually found guilty. And Shannon's family is outraged and feels Shannon has just been wrongly convicted. Five years after the verdict, Shannon decides she has a lot to say about Jameer Stroud and what happened to Danita Smith in her very first interview with the media. In this interview, Shannon shows some emotion, shedding tears as she tries to explain her innocence. She details her relationship with Jameer, saying he was a charming guy and very nice, and that they got along so well because they had a lot in common. She makes it clear, though, that she was not in love with Jameer, and she insists that she had no idea Jameer was also seeing Danita Smith while they were dating behind Danita's back. She says that if she did know, she would have never given Jameer her phone number. In the interview, she claims that the relationship escalated quickly, that Jameer would frequently call her, show up at her place unannounced, he would want to know where she was and who she was with, and he would leave messages and call 30 to 40 times in a row. She also explains that she kept seeing Jameer despite this behavior because she didn't think he was dangerous. She interpreted his alleged behavior as him being concerned for her. She goes on to say that she soon became pregnant after their romantic relationship began, but that she and Jameer ended the relationship before the abortion, which is slightly different from the story she initially told police. She says that the conversation where Jameer said he didn't want to have a baby with her did not happen, and that it was not a trigger for the events that later happened, which is something police believed prompted Shannon to kill Danita. Shannon and Jermere's stories are most in conflict about the day Danita died. In the interview, Shannon fights back tears as she says how Jameer forced her to drive to Danita's and how he threatened her children's lives. She sticks by her story, saying that Jameer went up to Danita's apartment while she waited in the SUV. She maintains that Jameer killed Danita that day, but she doesn't know what his motive could be. Shannon Crawley states she doesn't believe Jameer had a plan at all suggesting she doesn't believe he set out to deliberately go there and shoot her. In fact, Shannon believes that Jameer was after her. To add, Shannon still insists in the interview that the investigation does not support her conviction. She admits that she was there, but she did not kill Danita, and that that's backed up by the lack of evidence like DNA and fingerprints. Shannon also maintains that all the phone calls that were recorded onto tapes are real. She says she does not have an explanation for why it doesn't sound like Jameer's voice on those tapes, but she claims she recognizes his voice on the tapes and maintains that it was Jameer Stroud. She claims she wouldn't even know how to fake a phone call. Now, I think if Shannon really wanted to fake a phone call, it's really not that complicated. She could have just found some guy, whether that's a friend or she paid someone, to call her phone from a payphone pretending to be Jameer. This caller could have been reading lines from a script Shannon wrote for all we know. But again, she maintains that this wasn't the case and that the call was authentic. 
As for Shannon's story about the alleged rape, she says that the investigation was not handled properly and that the rape really did happen. When asked why the DNA was not found with the rape kit, she says that it's because Jameer is a police officer and he made sure it couldn't be found. She also says she doesn't believe that Jameer was really talking to anyone on the phone back in Greensboro when the alleged rape took place because she knows where Jameer was. He was with her. At the end of the interview, Shannon Crawley maintains that she did not kill Danita Smith, and she wishes that Jameer would tell the truth about what happened. Jameer was cleared of the charges of rape against Shannon and was never charged in Danita's case. He was exonerated fully. But the judge in the trial said they feel it was Jameer's behavior that caused a series of events that led to Danita's death. And I kind of agree. If Jameer never brought Shannon into his relationship with Danita, then the chances of all this happening seem slim to none. Sure, Jameer is ultimately not responsible for Shannon's behavior. But it's Jameer's secrecy, lies, and betrayal that brought someone like Shannon into Danita Smith's life. Shannon had the opportunity to take a plea deal up until 2020, but she exhausted all her options and must now face life in prison. Her family still believes Shannon is innocent and hopes to begin an independent investigation, but the odds are that Shannon Crawley will die in prison. Danita's mother has found a way to forgive Shannon Crawley despite the amount of pain she has caused. She feels it's her responsibility as a Christian to extend forgiveness to everyone. At North Carolina Central University, the memory of Danita Smith and her impact is honored. In the journalism department, the school newsroom has been named in her honor. Danita Smith was a beautiful, smart, ambitious woman who believed she was embarking on the best moments of her life. She trusted the man she was engaged to and only ever spoke highly of his character. Yet this man ultimately led Danita to her tragic fate. I think Danita Smith's story is one that highlights how love is often a powerful motive for murder. And it can make many of us ask the question, do we ever really know the people we love? Thanks for listening to another episode of the Lost Crimes Library podcast. If you enjoy the show, please show your support by leaving a rating and review on Apple and Spotify. Also, follow us on social media. You can find us on Instagram and TikTok at the Lost Crimes Library pod. Before you go, make sure you hit the follow button because new episodes drop every Wednesday and you won't want to miss it. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. 
Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. On Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.